Yeah, welcome to iProtest. This is Donald Jeffries with you, coming to you live over live stream at rockfin.com. We do every Friday at this time. My guest today is author and researcher Jack Ashill. Uh, he's most noted, at least in my mind, for the uh, book TWA 800, The Crash, The Cover-Up, The Conspiracy. But he's also looked into things like uh, Obama's birth and various other uh, conspiracy theories which are of interest this audience, Jack. Uh, we we talked. Uh, I guess it's maybe been a couple of years ago now. But welcome, welcome to the show. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Oh, it's 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 always great to talk about these things. And uh, I write about hidden history all the time, so I don't I don't want to let anything th these things be forgotten. So something like TWA Flight Eight Hundred, they, they try to shove it down the memory hole, and these are these are atrocities that happen, and they just get uh, you know. And shoved down the memory hole to help. How did you, because your work has appeared in a lot of the mainstream media. So did you, uh, uh, did you just eventually go down one of these rabbit holes and, uh, you know, you were, you were a good mainstream reporter and then you, you wound up in my world? Well, we know there's an actual uh, real tangible beginning to my involvement. And that is, you know, I live in Kansas City and Kansas City is the ancestral home of TWA. So uh, there's a lot of uh, retired, uh, now retired pilots, stewardesses, you know, uh, mechanics, et cetera, here. And uh, in about, I think it was the year 2000, four years after the crash of TW800, uh, James Sanders came to Kansas City to speak. James Sanders was the, uh, would eventually become my partner in a lot of these projects, but he was also, uh, the first reporters to really dig in deep to see what actually happened to TW800, a 747 that crashed off the coast of Long Island uh, on a clear July night in 1996, killing all 230 people on board. And when James spoke, I just expected a handful of people there, but it was a full house because all the TWA people came to hear him speak. And these people know something about aviation, a lot of them being pilots, for instance, or engineers or mechanics. And um, they were angry, not at what Jim Sanders was trying to tell them, mainly that the plane had been shot out of the sky, but at their own airline for failing to uh, pursue the investigation to its uh, ultimate conclusion. And I began, you know, up to that point, I thought TW-800 was just another conspiracy out there, you know, like Vince Foster, or actually a lot of these conspiracies are probably true, but I didn't know much about 800. I just didn't, I wasn't that into it. I didn't follow it that closely. I don't remember when it happened specifically. So, but afterwards I went to dinner with a bunch of people because I was on a board of the group that invited Sanders to come to town. And sitting next to me was Sanders' wife, Elizabeth. And she's the sweetest, prettiest woman on the planet. She's a Filipino-American, former attendant and trainer for TWA 800. 
And when she told me her story of how she and Jim, for their efforts in trying to investigate this, uh, were arrested by the FBI, hunted across the country, and then tried in a federal court and convicted of conspiracy for daring to, for Jim daring to investigate. Liz's only role was to introduce Jim to his ultimate source, a 747 pilot and manager who was working in the investigation. It was then you began to realize that something may be amiss. So the next morning I had breakfast with Jim and Liz and I was a, at that time a you know a documentary producer. I did a lot of corporate media, video. You know, I was just with the in, uh, introduction of the internet, I was able to transition from the corporate world to the uh, world of journalism because I had access to information that would have been a very hard to come by for just a, a lone individual. So we had breakfast and we began to talk. And I, and I, they were very convincing. And I talked to them about doing a documentary. But I said, I don't want to get into this unless I'm 100% sure you're right. I don't want to get into a talk, right, and make a documentary about a theory about something that could have happened or might have happened or, you know. So they invited me down to Florida where they were living. And so I flew down a month later and we spent three or four days together going through Jim's material. And what I realized that he had, that the uh, National Transportation Safety Board and the FBI suppressed were all the eyewitness interviews, hundreds of them, that this information had never been allowed to come out before. And before going down, I read the two mainstream books on TWA Flight 800, one by a Patricia Milton, an AP reporter, and the other by a Christine Negroni, who was a CNN reporter. They were both very convincing until you saw the material that it says Sanders had, namely the eyewitnesses. Both of them had to fully ignore the 250 eyewitnesses, who FBI eyewitnesses, who saw what appeared to be a missile or missiles streaking upwards, zigzagging, and then attacking the airliner and bringing it out of the sky. And so after visiting with Jim, I say, let's go, let's do this. It's about time. Oh, absolutely. And, and hopefully we're going to have, uh, you know, you connected me with Jim Sanders and uh, that's going to happen down the road. You know, we, he couldn't make it uh, this week, but uh, we're going to have that. Uh, so you, you guys uh, keep listening for that. We'll talk more about it. Uh, yeah. TWA flight hitter. Now, you know, it, it, I, I don't know if you, what you know about my work, but I mean, I, I write about a lot of this, uh, all these subjects, but TWA 800 is, is unique in that I don't think it's uh, something that was uh a conspiracy ahead of time. Like, I, I don't think that the Navy said, we're just going to shoot an airliner out of the sky. You know, I think this was, this was an, a conspiracy of incompetence is maybe just as tragic, but so I think really it was, and I don't know what your thoughts are, but from what I understand, it was a training exercise gone awry. It was a fatal accident. And then they just, I, I guess I almost understand how they could, how do you admit an accident like that? But right. is that your thoughts? Is your thoughts no, as well? Right. It just got yeah, absolutely, Don. If you look at American history, there are very few conspiracies of execution at a high level. But there are many conspiracies of concealment. Those are a dime a dozen. This was a major concealment job, but that's what it was. This was a, you're right, it was a naval exercise kind of awry. It was experimental, you know, uh, what a cooperative engagement capability exercise off the coast of Long Island. They should have never been there. They were careless. And they shoot an airplane out of the sky. I mean, five years earlier, the Navy shot a 
an Iranian Airbus accidentally and killed hundreds of people. And they, you know, they do what the Navy does. They they hide and then they hand out medals. You know, it's just like that's been doing that since yeah. you know, John Paul Jones. I mean, it's just a, you know an admiral arrogant. Uh, you know, it's, that's the Navy yeah. practice. And they uh, with well, the just, uh, Iranian Airbus, they finally uh, fessed up to it, but it, you know, grudgingly and slowly. Yeah, but I mean, well, they don't they don't like it. Yeah. This case, they're not. I mean, and they they ended up destroying one. Not only Jim Sanders, but Pierre Salinger's career was ruined. Oh, they destroyed Pierre Salinger, Jim Sanders, and they made life difficult for a whole lot of people who were trying to tell the truth. Yeah, and it's just it's it's amazing. And, and you say you mentioned those mainstream books, and I think that was uh, that's the important point to consider is that yeah, you can make a convincing case for any of these if you ignore the evidence. But if you're ignoring basically at all, everyone who saw something. I mean, how that's why when people say to me, well, this, you know, that there's not some monolithic conspiracy in terms of the mainstream media, I call it state control media. But how else do you explain something like that? You set out to write a book about an incident and you don't bother to gather any eyewitness testimony. I mean, it's not like you can talk to the people on the plane. I mean, how, how do you do something like that innocently? No, especially well, Patricia Milton, who had access, who's working with the FBI in this. You know, I think she fell in love with the FBI head of chief staff there, uh, Jim Kalstrom, who was supervisor of the mission. I mean, literally. Not to say they consummated anything. But she was yeah. starstruck, you know. Her descriptions of Kalstrom, who was an, you know, an average-looking guy of average height, you know, she describes him as though, as though we were friggin' Hercules, you know. But, <laughs> um, no, she, she had to know, which means she had to suppress. But the real yeah. culprit in this whole story was, as is the culprit in many stories, the New York Times. This happened in their backyard. They swarmed this story. They had, I don't know, 50 reporters on it. If this happened in the middle of Kansas, where everyone had access to the story, they wouldn't have gotten away with it. No. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Chris Graves in the chat room. He's the one that originally uh, brought together with you we did our first interview and he has a question he said did you sure. ever hear from pilot james young since the last time he did years ago yeah uh actually it's um it's not james young there are two youngs involved one's robert young the other guy is um thomas young yeah okay. I, I talked a couple times to thomas young he if we're talking about the same person uh in fact yeah. we uh, were engaged in a joint exercise with the judicial watch because what Young's experience was, he was in a, he was a 747 pilot for a charter airline at the time. And he had also been a Boeing engine, worked at Boeing as an engineer on working on missiles, right? So he knew something about what he was talking about. Although they yanked the uh, I, the actual eyewitness video that went up the first night for maybe an hour, I don't know how long, uh, from American TV, in his Hong Kong hospital bed, where he was recovering from back surgery, he saw that video a hundred times. His wife was there with him. They just ran it over and over again on Hong mm -hmm. Kong TV. So about a year or two ago, Young and I and uh, Bill Marshall of Judicial Watch set out to, uh, we identified you know, a Judicial Watch uh, intelligence, retired intelligence official in, in Hong Kong and tried to find the video, but we were unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. So I'm not well, sure. A, uh, well, like, well, Chris is also asking, he's, he's talking about there's a, another 
the other missile videos, like the CNN one that the late Bill Cooper uh, ran and had a whole article about. Did you know? Is there, is there some other video or videos out there? Well, you know, the other video that was released, which was, you know, and this there's a story here too. I, I I'm not sure that we're all on the same page talking about the same video, but this one was critical because Jim Sanders and I had been working on a second book. And uh, uh, what happened was that just out of the blue, the FBI sent him this video. And he was convinced it was the original video of the missile being sent, you know, launched and, and the plane being shot down. The one that ever sent everyone scurrying on the night of July 17th and the FBI confiscating videotapes and whatnot from MSNBC and elsewhere. Uh, he was very keen on it. And he even withdrew from the project we were working on because he wanted to concentrate on his video. His agent said, no, this is your video, Jim. Run with this. Well, so then he sends a copy for me to look at after a while. And I had to, I looked at it and I, then I did some more research. I said, Jim, I hate to break your heart, but this isn't the video. This is the video. I said, it has value. It's a video taken from July 12th. And it wasn't at dusk. It was at dawn. So it was hard, you know. I, the only way I was able to tell the two apart was to check the position of the moon on that day. There is a program online that allows you to do that. And the video was shot by some amateurs off the coast of Long Island. And what they showed was a test taking place uh, over the south of Long Island in the Atlantic. And what the test shows or appears to show is a missile striking a drone. So the explosion you see at the end is not as dramatic as the missile hitting a 747. It's a smaller explosion, but you then see the debris falling into the sea. Now we know this missile, this video existed because both the FBI and the CIA acknowledge its existence. But this is the first time we got our hands on the actual video. So when they say there were no other tests in that region, I mean, we have that video now to disprove that. Five days earlier, there had been a missile test. Five days before that, on July 7th, multiple witnesses reported seeing a missile test. So we were seeing a five-day right. pattern of tests in that area just south of Long Island in the Atlantic, off the coast of New Jersey. Well, you, you got involved in this uh, because uh, Jim Sanders contacted you. How, how did you get involved in this? And tell uh, Sanders' story. Exactly who was he beforehand? I know he ended up being prosecuted for supposedly taking some residue from its seat because he wanted to prove the bomb residue. How, how, how did that all happen? Well, you know, Jim is a real uh, bird dog. I mean, he's, he's a former cop, former investigative reporter. You know, he had written a couple of uh, books on, uh, uh, basically on POWs, MIAs. And so that was his profession at the time when this happened, investigative reporter. And then when his wife finds herself in the middle of this whole controversy, she was a, a trainer then for TWA, she introduces him to a guy named uh, Terry Stacy, who was the head 747 manager out at the investigation site. And they're at, they, they attended 50, you know, they were going 50 or 53 TWA employees killed. So they were going from one memorial service to another. And so they saw them each other more than once. And then um, finally, Stacy approaches Sanders, says, you're an investigative reporter, right? He goes, well, he goes, I got a story for you. There's stuff going on out here that's not right. And then he started conspiring, you know, exchanging information from inside the information, uh, from inside the investigation. What they're exchanging is information, like uh, words. I mean, 
the kind of things that free, the First Amendment protects, allegedly. But what got them in trouble, and this was on a technicality, is that uh, according to Stacy, and uh, you know, and he said there was a, rec- a residue across a series of seatbacks of, of what appeared to be a rocket residue, a red, orangish rocket residue. Uh, he gave it to the FBI to be tested. They would not give him back the results. So at that point, he went to scrape off some of the residue to send it to to Sanders uh, to have him tested in an outside lab. But when he went to scrape it, it wasn't scrape. This is this is how fine the FBI was to to rooting out potential exposure. So he took a pinch of foam rubber and. Out of a thousand possible pinches, so there's no shortage of pinches of foam rubber. Careful, he didn't mail it. He put it, FedExed it, right, to Sanders, and that uh, resulted in their undoing when Sanders published the results of his test, and then he found it consistent with rocket fuel. And one California paper did a whole big expose on it. At that point, the FBI came swooping down on on the Sanders, trying to find out who their source was. Elizabeth had to go into hiding for a year. Uh, that's how bad it was. I mean, and um, Jim, uh, you know, you know, claimed his First Amendment rights, but they uh, weren't enough because what they had him now, they got him on a a, a law that had been passed just a year earlier after the crash, crash in the Everglades of a commercial airliner to prevent scavengers from stealing parts from the airplane. So they they claim that that a little pinch of foam rubber was an airplane part. It violated the scavenger law. So they got him on a conspiracy to steal airplane parts. And they made a big to-do about it. You know, the FBI paraded them around, Jeez. blah, blah, blah. They were tried out on Long Island before a totally poisoned jury who weren't allowed to know that Sanders was a reporter. So they weren't even allowed to know that this was, uh, uh, you know, that this was a First Amendment case. So the jury found him guilty. Uh, what, what was he? Did he, did he go to prison? Uh, no, they both. Uh, they realized that imprisoning them would have been called more attention to the case than they wanted to. So they gave Jim five years probation, Liz three years probation. I mean, they had to do the purple oh, walk, they had to wear the orange jumpsuits, you know, but they didn't weren't, weren't uh, held. That's just that's just amazing to me that that would be the prosecution there because they I mean, obviously didn't want it. And then uh, so Jim Sanders goes through what he did. But uh, how did Pierre Salinger become involved? And this is, you know, keep in mind, this is JFK's press secretary. For years, yeah. he had had, I, I thought it was probably one of the most cushy jobs in media. He was ABC's correspondent in Paris. So he lived in Paris. And I don't think he did a whole lot of stories. So I think he probably had a pretty good gig there. But uh, oh, he was wow, he had a bottom fell off for him. Curiously, I met him in Paris. And, uh, I was on a Fulbright. I was teaching at a French university, and I, I met him at the American Embassy in Paris in 1982. And he, yeah, you're right. He was living the, the great life. He was a former U.S. senator. He was a legendary press secretary yeah. for JFK. Yeah. Great character. Had contacts all over the world. You know, you're right. He could cover whatever stories he wanted to. And when he did, he had all the contacts he needed to make it happen. There's a funny story involved here, that, and I'll, I'll work into it. But so what happens is, good Democrat that he is. Salinger has sources in both France and America. The plane was going to Paris, by the way. So the French lost a lot of their citizens. They're not happy about this. Uh, 
He waits, a good Democrat that is, he waits until the day after the 1996 election, which played a key role in his understanding what happened here. And he holds a press conference in Cannes on the French Riviera. And, and he goes through his data, his in, you know, documentation. He, he lays out the case for a, a naval misfire. Excuse me, I'm going to adjust my seat here. And um, mm-hmm. the uh, and then the um, the New York Times and uh, hopped on him immediately as a conspiracy theorist. Within just that month of November, they ran four separate articles ridiculing him as a nut, you know. And uh, yeah. this is a guy who had a an impeccable, you know, forty year career in the public life, and now he's just being reduced to a a comic caricature by the New York Times and the FBI, you know, fueling that fire. They humiliated him, ridiculed him, and then they, you know, they made up reasons why his his information was nonsensical. We saw this repeated in twenty twenty with the, anyone claiming there was election fraud, right? And you were immediately a fool. You know, you just didn't know what you're talking about. Conspiracy theorists, blah, blah, blah. So that happens to Salinger. Now I'm going to fast forward. And by the way, when that happened to Salinger, I can't tell you how many people I talked to in the investigation who said to me, if you saw what they did to Salinger, you can imagine what they could do to me, right? That was the silence. That shut people up. You say, well, why didn't someone come forward? Well, if you're uh, Pierre Salinger and you get humiliated and have your career ruined, can you imagine if you're Sailor 235 on some submarine, you know? So yeah. I'm going to fast forward a bunch of years. In 2016, my book comes out, uh, TW800, The Crash to Cover Up the Conspiracy. Uh, and uh, I, before the uh, election of 2016, seeing Jim Kallstrom on TV, the head of the FBI investigation, uh, a Trump supporter and a Clinton hater going on on Fox almost night after night talking about this. Not 800. We're talking about, you know, is how much uh, what scumbags the Clintons were. He, um, I, I got, I keep getting emails from family members of victims saying it drives me crazy when I see him on TV talking, because he knows the yes. truth. If he told the truth, he could bring the Clintons down. They were it was on their watch and under their direction that this whole thing came with silence. And so I got his address and sent him a registered letter explaining what the family members told me and what he should do before the election, right? Well, to avoid the election, I, I went to France you know, for a couple of weeks just to avoid all that. I live in a democratic neighborhood. I don't want to be around that. You know, if, if Hillary won, I don't want to hear horns beeping. I don't want to hate my neighbors, you know, so I just left the country for a few weeks. And I remember this so well. I'm sitting out overlooking the Mediterranean on a bench about six o'clock in the evening, and I get a call on my cell phone. And it says Connecticut, right? So I pick it up. Hello. Uh, Jack Cashel. Yeah. What the hell? You know, he's, I heard he was a profane bull. Uh-huh. You know, just cursing F, F bomb this, F bomb that, F bomb that. Blah, blah, really? blah, blah, blah. I, I get him to calm down yeah. a little bit. I say, hey, we're on the same side in this election. You know, you've got the power to to make to change the outcome, you know. And uh, and then he said, what are you trying to tell me? The terrorists took out this airplane? I, he just sounded like he didn't know anything. 
I said, no, I'm not yeah. trying to tell you that. I said, I hate to break it to you. And I hate to, uh, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But, uh, and I came to this conclusion reluctantly, I said, but it was our Navy that took out the plane. And then here's where it gets kind of funny. Uh, he goes, you sound just like that effing Pierre Salinger. He held a press conference on effing Riviera, you know, right. And I'm thinking, thank God I didn't tell him where I was. You know, I'm on the radio. <laughs> you know, speaking of conspiracies, you would have gone to his grave yeah. thinking there was a great French conspiracy to humiliate him. Yeah. Uh, he did mm -hmm. go to his grave, by the way, last year. Uh, un yeah. Unrepentant and, uh, you know, un yeah. you know, yeah. without having, uh, you know, no deathbed confession. So. And, and as you noted, he became he became kind of a uh, regular talking head on Fox, which is. Uh, he was. Know, it's, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it's, and he it's, was uh, the outspoken uh, uh, Clinton credit. Yeah, but anyway, that he's you know he reminds me of people like uh, Bill O'Reilly and people like that, even Rush Limbaugh, that where they would they would not go into the body count and things. I, I don't I don't think you're gonna. I doubt very seriously you ever talked about Vince Foster or anything like that. They would just kind of do generic. But the same thing with Obama, which you have some experience with, because you have looked into the Obama birth certificate too as well, right? Some, some of these critics will go up to a certain point, but they won't go there. And of course, Trump famously after raising the issue or being right in the middle of it, uh, you know, while he was president made that dramatic announcement that oh, Barack Obama was born in the U.S. What did you think of that? And what was your involvement in that? Well, you know, I, I wasn't involved in a birth certificate. I was involved in something a little more specific, which I proved. Okay. And, but it, it also uh, taught me what happens to an individual who has firsthand information. And what I, uh, you know, I've, I do a lot of ghostwriting, a lot of editing, you know, book doctoring, et cetera. I've probably done 30 or 40 books of people you've heard of, many of them, most of them. And um, so when uh, Dreams, when I, when 19, 2008, when I finally got around to reading Dreams from my father, Obama's book, the book that made him a candidate, um, I started reading it and then I started comparing it to other things he had written. And I said, no, no, no. This ain't Obama. I wonder who his ghostwriter is. I'm just curious, right? I figured he had some left-wing poet or something. You know, the book is very lyrical. And then I was investigating another thread. That is, I wondered when, whether Bill Ayers, the unrepentant terrorist, and Barack Obama had known each other uh, in New York. So I got a hold of Bill Ayers' memoir, Fugitive Days, and bingo. Man, I said... <laughs> I, when I realized it was Bill Ayers, I said, this is almost too much information. I'd have been better off just finding some left-wing quack. You know, then, I, then the media would talk to me about it. But finding out that Bill Ayers was uh, the book doctor on Barack Obama's dreams for my father put a lie to everything Obama had been saying about his relationship to Ayers. Also, it, it would uh, dim the star of his literary genius, because I knew he couldn't write that book on his own. Ayers is a really gifted writer and editor. I have this information six weeks before the election. If the if even our media picked up on it, we could have turned the election. But what happens is this. I, I All the major conservative publications turned me down, uh, even though I have track record with a lot of them. And then um, American Thinker, uh, you know, an online, new online publication picked it up and ran with it and went crazy on the Internet. Rush Limbaugh picks it up yeah. and starts talking about it on the air one month before the election. 
And then, you know, I found myself thinking of that Randy Travis song. Is it over? Are we still through? If my phone still ain't ringing, can I assume it still ain't you? After Limbaugh <laughs> does this, he mentions me by name, mentions the theory by name. I'm thinking at least the people on our side, they're going to contact me. No, they ran from me. Our politicians, our media, thank God for Limbaugh. He was he went out on a limb to do it. The only other person, the only people who came to my support were Andy McCarthy in National Review and Andrew Breitbart. And they were both, McCarthy was silent. I mean, they were both called racist, blah, 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 blah. Shut right. them up. Yeah, I was called racist a thousand times over. How dare I think that Barack Obama wasn't genius enough to write his own book, you know? Well, yeah, you know, there are people who don't think that Shakespeare didn't write his own stuff. So no one's ever <laughs> called right. those critics racist or, you know, or whatever. Exactly. exactly. So, um, what happens, Don, is if you have that real information, as I did, they'll they'll do everything in their power to keep you silent. Absolutely. No, so what 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 do you know about uh, one of the most intriguing aspects of flight PW800 is Oliver Stone's involvement and the uh, aborted special that I think was supposed to air was it on the Discovery Channel? One of the networks was supposed to air and they pulled it. Right. Uh, what do you, did you have any involvement with that? What's your information about that? You know, I, I that is correct. I don't know much more than what you just said, but I do know that Stone's people called me at some point, probably around 2003. They were going to go try it again, try to make a movie. And uh, that never uh, came through. Uh, Sanders has been approached by any number of screenwriters or producers. And those projects are inevitably, mm -hmm. uh, you know, crash and burn before they get, you know, before they get very far at all. Do you think that I guess it's obvious someone's suppressing them, or do you think that just there's other reasons? Uh, there, yeah, then they're suppressed by different sources, possibly, but um, you know, different. There are different ways to to to, you know, the studio may say to me, hey, "We're not giving you any money for this." Someone may get to the, you know, the networks. You know, it, there's a lot of ways to. I was involved myself in one very. Uh, conspicuous act of suppression and it came on the fifth anniversary and I was scheduled to uh, uh, debate on CNN Jim Hall who was the uh, Clinton the Gore Al Gore hack really who was the chairman of the NTSB at the time yes, and yes, yes. so this is all scheduled and I was laying out of the pool that day it was in the summer I remember that so July 17th and uh, I was thinking to myself I was rehearsing what I was going to say. And I said, I just sat up. I said, they're going to cancel this. They have to. Because I, I can ask him one or two questions and and end the whole mystery right, right then and there. And he's a hack. He doesn't know anything. There's no way. You know, all I have to do is ask him, what, do you, what about the 250 eyewitnesses, Jim? You know, what'd you do with them? You know, and there's some other even more critical <laughs> question. Like, what was the P3 doing right overhead to Flight 800? Um so then I said, no, they're going to cancel this. Sure enough, about an hour before the scheduled appearance, uh, they they canceled it. Christina Borgeson, bless her heart, a CBS person, uh, wrote about this in her book. Uh, I forget the name of the book, but it was she she went into this in some detail because she tried to help Sanders get the story of the uh, that pinch of uh, foam rubber on the air. And she, you know, he gave her a piece of it for CBS. You know, 60 Minutes was going to do something, and then CBS was going to do something, and then 
all that got canceled and Borgeson gets fired. I mean, that's how that's how they roll. I mean, yeah. they're they're rough. You know, they don't you don't mess around so, with them. Oh, well, that's true. But I mean, I but I I understood that Stones had a completed documentary and it was scheduled. Am I wrong about that? And then just and has, has anybody seen it? Or I, I thought he had completed something. Uh, you know more than I do, then Don. I, I I do not know that he ever had a completed product. He may okay, have. So you don't know. Know. Okay, so um, so obviously this is and again as we mentioned, you you and I believe the same thing. This is not we're not. I'm not. I don't. I don't see why why the Navy or anybody would conspire to just shoot down. A, although we've we've had Cat in the chat room was has talked about. You know, you always look at who was on board these things. Is there any indication that anyone of significance was on board that plane that might have been targeted? No one, no one on board that plane was worth his or her own missile. You know, okay, yeah, that's a, right. That's that's, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, I, in the airport or something. You know, um, yeah, I, I just, I just, but, but I mean, the cover up would be the same either way because this is, I mean, you can almost understand how do you, how do you possibly go past that kind of public relations disaster? Oops, you know we, you know we, we get sloppy and we throw. I mean, that how there's no way they can explain that. Even if they can find some lackey to blame it on, I mean, that's the public's not going to accept. That. And the families would get. Imagine the. Although I don't know, maybe they had, they got lawsuits anyhow. I'm sure, but uh, imagine the damage is there. And and I want to ask you about the families in a second. But what what's your thought on that? Well, you know what? What uh, here's the, the the critical understanding that makes sense out of all of this and. It was a divisive one because a lot of the initial investigators were not uh, conservatives. You know, they were, you know, uh, scientists and stuff who were liberal. And they did not want to go to the obvious reason why this cover-up succeeded. And that is that the White House gave its stamp of approval. Clinton, if you recall, was running for re-election, desperate re-election bid. He was, you know, in the, in the 94 that they lost control of both seats at the House. It was Congress the first time in 40 years. I mean, they didn't even want him to rerun. That was how bad it was. But he, he raised a you know, gazillion dollars out of China, a great unreported story, and uh, was able to claw back into the race, running against Bob Dole, who was you know, already kind of... Inanimate <laughs> object, yeah, exactly. And um, so he got back into the race. It looked like he could win unless something catastrophic happened. And I tell the story in my book about, you know, Clinton was a golf fan. and He's the only golfer on the PGA Tour who liked him. The PGA Tour is very Republican. Uh, was uh, uh, Greg Norman out of Australia. They were buddies. In fact, at, uh, if you recall, this is really getting into the weeds here, but uh, it was at Greg Norman's house that uh, Clinton blew out his knee, you know. I yes, mean, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I behind that, too. I don't want to get into that. Yeah. But uh, – that year, Norman took a seven-stroke lead into the final round of the Masters. And yes, I remember, I remember it well, yeah. Nick Faldo, yeah. So what, uh, right after that, this is in April, Clinton would go around to all of his, his key staff and say, do not know Greg Norman. No Greg Norman. No Greg Norman. <laughs> we, we have a lead. We cannot blow this election, right? And then on July 17th, 1996, he hits... A quadruple bogey, you know, or the equivalent. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Uh, now they're looking, if this tr the truth comes out, either way, either that it was a ex exercise gone wrong, or, I mean, there's no good explanation. So they did, basically, the White House did, 
first of all, they brought the CIA in on day, day one. That, I, you know, I proved in my most recent book, Theater Grade 100. Um, that was information I didn't have, Jim and I didn't have, you know, a dozen years earlier when we were writing about this. They brought him in on day one, and they were their, their job was to, to suppress the story on day one. This is all documented. CIA brags about it. They gave themselves medals for this. And um, so they, this was coming out of the White House. It was being coordinated out of the White House. They did not want this story out. And then they got the New York Times on board. That's all you needed. CIA, New York Times, story's over. And like uh, Barack Obama in Benghazi in September of 20, uh, in 2012, we had almost a direct parallel. You know, you look like you win the election, then you have a Greg Norman incident in September. They just wanted to kick the can down the road past November. Any old story would do until as long as they get it past November. I don't think the Clintons ever thought they'd get away with it. When you look at the cover-up, it's totally improvised. I mean, it's total BS. I mean, there wasn't a, a serious aviator in America who ever believed the concocted jury-rigged story they came up with of a, you know, of a, a, an internal fuel tank explosion that blows the nose off the plane and the plane turns upright. It looks like a rocket, blah, blah, blah. Confuses the people on land. No, no one believed that. Everyone knew it was nonsense. Well, you have all- well, you have you're, you're saying there were there were 250 witnesses that saw, the, the, they all claimed to have seen the missile heading for the plane, right? Was that 250 people yeah, that saw it? It's some phase of it. Something like 96 okay. witnesses tracked the object from the horizon all the way up to the plane. And I've read all the eyewitnesses' statements, yeah. and when you read them, there's no yeah. mistaking what they're seeing. And in some of these, a lot of these are being written by military people by. Sailors, fishermen, right. people who have a good idea of what they're seeing out at the sea. You know, they're not just nut jobs, you know, on some drunken nut job on a deck in Long Island, you know. There's a few of those, but they saw stuff too. You know? Well, how many how many witnesses uh, did have you spoken to? Personally, oh, I don't know. I mean, I've yeah. read all of their witness reports, both the, the CIA yeah. versions and the NTSB versions yeah. and the FBI versions. Yeah. I've spoken to personally probably 20. Okay, Chris Chris Buchanan in the, in the, uh, in the chat room is pointing out the CIA made the video. Isn't that the allegation? You know, the CIA video that right is uh, yeah the CIA did the video animation that was released in um, it was released in November '97. Uh, the FBI presented it just one time, showed it just one time. They got a few media outlets to flack for it, most notably NBC and Newsweek. Uh, no discussion. Show it once. Okay, case closed. Let's put this to bed. <laughs> FBI wraps up its criminal investigation. Well, you got people that know about you in the chat. There's a couple questions. The first one is, what do you know about the $50,000 bidding war over the missile videotape that MSNB won? The bidders are witnesses and need them forward. And then someone is saying that you wrote an article about the weirdness behind Sandy Hook. What are your thoughts on that now? So two questions for you. Okay, I, I have nothing. I don't know anything about Sandy Hook. I never wrote an article about it. But uh, oh, what, okay. what happened was uh, on the bidding war, though, uh, MSNBC came on air July 15th, 1997, right? So when, when word of this uh, video existed, this was a, a coup for them. I mean, MSNBC came on air as a some sort of relatively neutral, you know, as the second big news uh, you know, uh, cable news outlet. Uh, 
here's what I know. You know, I have some, I, here's a, I have to tell this in a story to put it in context, but um, I was at, at the time, um, after the Flight 800, Jim and I were negotiating with a major New York distributor, because he and I made the video together called Silence, to distribute this. And he, he thought that BBC would be a, a natural. And he was, he was a high-end guy, not political at all. In fact, he's, you know, left New York, you know. And uh, uh, he'd say, he called me one day and said, this is in the summer of 2001. He said, you never believe the conversation I just had. I said, no, tell me. He goes, I'm in the process of hiring a new tech director. And this guy I'm recruiting from MSNBC tells me, you know, and I, I mentioned TW800. And he tells me, he says, I saw the video. And he thought he meant our video, the video of silence that Sanders and I made. He goes, no, no, no. I saw the original video. He goes, I was there that night on July 17th. We showed it, you know, we, we bought it, showed it. And then he goes, you know, three guys, you know, about, about an hour and was on the air. Three guys in suits come in, confiscate every copy, tell us if we ever talk about this publicly, we can kiss our careers goodbye, right? Mm-hmm. So I said to my contact, my distributor contact, I said, we got to get this guy into our video. You know, we have to amend our video to get his testimony. He goes back to the guy, the guy says, no way, no how am I ever going to say this publicly, right? And he was angry that that the, the distributor shared that information with me. But that's what happened. So that video was lost forever, other than it shows up in Hong Kong, but we weren't able to run that one down. Well, when you mentioned that no way they're going to mention things, oh, look, I've heard that from so many other people where, uh, you know, and I, I don't know. You know. I can kind of understand people. Uh, don't want to lose their jobs. And a lot of these jobs are well-paying. So I can understand that. They have families and everything. But still, you know, at some point, people have to, to speak out. So it, you, you being in the media, you probably have a lot of contact with mainstream journalists over the years. Uh, what's your feeling behind the scenes? Or, or, do, is, do they actually have journalistic zeal over things like the JFK assassination, 9-11, Oklahoma City, all these other things like Waco, uh, and they just know they can't write about it or talk about it because they lose their job. I mean, or, or did they actually accept these absurd stories? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Don. But I, I did talk to a very well-placed public producer, uh, on-air person at Fox News, who gave me a copy of a video that was extremely revealing. Uh, but he, they wouldn't air it themselves because they want to keep their distance from it. And then I went to the reporter from the, the main reporter from New York Times. And I brought that video to him. It was a video of the wreckage. It was very revealing. It's kind of complicated to explain what's in it. And uh, he was nervous when I was meeting with him. All these people are nervous. They're, you know, the, the, uh, in the deep state, the, their word for omerta is spelled P-E-N-S-I-O-N, pension. I mean, <laughs> your career employee of the federal government, they take right. that away from you. You've just wasted your career. And the New York police yeah. force, they talk about the million dollar mistake. That is, if you, you know, like end up confiscating drugs that you weren't supposed to or whatever, the million dollar mistake. And the federal government, it's a $2 million mistake. Talking to yeah. the media on something that they don't want you to talk about. Well, I can, I can understand you. People like Cheryl Atkinson, who uh, was with uh, CNN, CBS News, and she's been on my show before. And she's uh, yeah. she was fired by CBS for uh, pointing out that the WHO and the CDC lied about swine flu. And so that ought to give you 
cause to punt what's been going on the last couple of years because they got caught doing it once and she lost her job. But I mean, so I can understand that she's probably, you know, lost a big paycheck. I mean, or, 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 and maybe they've been others like that. I, I don't know. But I mean, I, I guess I can't, I can understand a little bit, but at some point you got to have the courage to, to, you know, point these things out. Yeah. And I, in that regard, I've only talked to one person. I've only talked to one eyewitness. I, I'm one Navy person. Right. And his, and if he ever, and I, I wrote about him in my, in my book, TW800, the 2016 book, uh, but I used an alias for him. If his name was ever revealed, they'd ruin him. And he was on a yeah. uh, sister ship. He wasn't on the ship that launched it, but he was he was involved in the uh, uh, that that exercise that evening. So he so he admitted that it happened, but he obviously well, I can imagine. Yeah, one one guy in the navy. I mean, what are they going to do to the? You know what they do to whistleblowers, but something like that. They've got a lot invested in the cover story. Right. What happened in his case is they he didn't see the missile. He just he was aware of. The fallout what happened? that is they right. destroy all their logs and everything. Uh, yeah. Then they went to Bermuda. Uh, weren't allowed to leave the ship. weren't allowed to communicate with anyone. And it was six months before the these people were back in circulation. And they were, you know, what happened is Clinton, in fact, for the for the uh, the salvage crew from Navy SEALs, he passed a, a special executive order saying, "We'll ruin you basically if you." If you talk about it, uh, it's it's yeah. a little more a little more complicated than that, yeah. but not much more. You know. Well, I, I can I can probably guess the way you view the world presently. You probably look at it much the way I do. But I mean, do you, do you feel having investigated all these things in the past? I mean, because every time you you bury some of these uh, you know horrible incidents like TWA Flight 800 or Oklahoma City or just in the Clinton years alone, and Foster, all, all these things uh, just. They add up cumulatively because you end up with the result, I think, where we are today. When you look at the people in charge and you look at uh, the, the you know, absolute hatred, I come from the left. I'm a classical liberal populist, and uh, I cannot believe no, no one on the left except my friends Naomi Wolf and uh, Cindy Sheehan, Cynthia McKinney, nobody else, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., maybe, the entire left. Absolutely. Look, how, look how they're acting to Elon Musk on Twitter. Oh, exactly. I mean, they're, and, they're and just I, I, right. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. an optimist, uh, Don. And I, but I, I see people like Glenn Greenwald, Barry Weiss, and you named a bunch of others. Yes, yes, yes. The yeah. light, even uh, Joe Rogan, uh, you know, Elon Musk. Yeah. My God, there's a major. And you saw how they were. You're right. It's like free speech. We can't deal with that. <laughs> now, uh, from a selfish perspective, these people have given me a career. Why am I the one? Yeah. Why am I the principal custodian of TW eight hundred story? You know, why was I allowed yeah. to break the authorship story about, you know, about Trump and about heirs and uh, uh, Obama? That Trump, by the way, repeated publicly when you know when the yes. birther thing came up. He also talked about the authorship issue. They wouldn't touch that. They went mm -hmm. after him on the birther stuff because that was lost to history. But they wouldn't touch him on the authorship stuff because uh, I, you know, I talked to uh, what's his name. Michael Cohen before that all broke. Um, no, it's so I got I got a career. Um, I'd rather at some point be uh, recognized, you know, for what I've done, discovered. But in the meantime, you know, I, I'm a little too hot even for conservative media. You know, a certain conservative media because uh, they they're reluctant to, and I've stayed away from yeah. you know. Well, I, I don't write anything I can't prove. I don't speculate. If I do speculate, I qualify it as a speculation.
I've never right. written any. I've never been sued. All the books I've written, all yeah. the articles. Hey, I, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's and there's you can question these things. You can write about them without. So, okay, I don't. You know, I, every you know, I, people think of us as conspiracy theorists. I've told everybody, if you can find a theory in anything I write, tell me what it is. I'm not theory. You know, when I'm pointing out something. That you know this particular piece of evidence that you know what's the temperature that steel melts at or something like that. It's not a conspiracy theory; it's a scientific fact that you've put out there. So it's up to you to explain the anomaly. If anything else, you know, you it doesn't matter what it is if you see something. But why? But they've been very successful at this at demonizing people because by just oh that's a consp I mean everything's a conspiracy theory. Basically, the question is what they're doing. Oh, that's a what that, I'm not theorizing at all. I'm pointing out what you're doing. I'm an observer. No, no, right. I, I'm with you. I, I uh, you know, I personally, I, I don't believe that, you know, 9-11 was an inside job. I mean, Alex Jones didn't want to talk to me after that, but uh, I'm willing to debate it. You know, let's get the information out there. You know, right, let's talk right. about it. Don't, right. Right. Don't uh, well, write but, off someone because he has information you don't have, you know? Exactly. And that, and that's, that's the point is that, you know, I, I will talk to anybody too, but I mean, you have to, and that's why, you know, I'm the, I mean, I've seen, you know, Elon Musk, I think is, is, you know, he's friends with the same group and he's so wealthy. I mean, it's hard to trust anybody with that kind of money. But still, you know, if, if he if he restores free speech to one of the social media platforms, that's a good thing. So I all my friends in the conspiracy world, oh, what about, the, uh, yeah, okay, I understand that. But if he does return free speech and makes it more open, that's a good thing, right? I mean, you have to, you have to look for what people are doing. If they do, it's, if Bill Clinton came out tomorrow and, you know, came up with something that, you know, that I, I would say, okay, yeah, you've been a career criminal, but okay, you did, you did something right. I mean, you got to credit people where it's due. No, right. And it's, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, the, we see the reaction in the media uh, because they've been sitting on their own incompetence for years and they, they brush off people, you know, and they, you know, my, you know, people ask me if I'm ever worried about my safety. I said, no. And they said, why? I said, the last thing they want to do is to call attention to someone like me when they can just ignore me, you know? Right. Um, right, right, right. Exactly. And, and uh, James there's Anderson, first-hand information, that's when you get really, that's when you're vulnerable. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, Sanders is in the position of so many other people that did not make it, you know, so I, I'm, I'm, a, and his wife is still alive too, right? They both still living? Yeah, yeah. They're doing fine. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, Jim well, is you know, upper seventies now. I mean, he's but he's still plugging yeah, away. They they beat the odds. They beat the odds, and then my hats off to him because a lot of you know that's what I write about is how many of these these people don't tend to have long life expectancies when they come forward or they uh, they challenge right. the narrative. So, so where are you at now? You're still are you still writing regularly, or what? What are you doing? What are you looking at now? Are you are you looking at investing it, or do you still are, no, are you I'm still plugging away on TWA Flight Eight Hundred? Uh, Don, I do a lot of uh, editing and all for other people, uh, and which gets me allowed allows me to look into very behind the scenes. Uh, and I have just finished finishing one project that, since it's not under my name, I can't talk about. It, but it's going to be fun. It's coming out very soon. Uh, what I'm the personal book I'm writing on now is is a more general one, and I'd invite people who have a story to tell to to contact me through my website, Cashel.com. And then as I'm writing the story of white flight from the uh, from the perspective of the people who are forced to flee, we've never heard from these people mm -hmm. before. 
And I speak, right. I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience, having grown up in Newark, New Jersey in the 60s. Uh, that mm -hmm. story has been so dramatically uh, and flagrantly mistold. It amazes me that they've gotten away with it so long. So I, I want firsthand uh, accounts of people who went through what we went through. Yeah, that, well, that that's a that's a great notion. Uh, it's and again, but that's the problem is in, in the culture where we have now, and it is. I think it's more, pretty much it's been lost. But uh, that side is never uh, the, the other side. The, the side of the whites, especially that that would would flee. It's no. It's just attributed to you know, ignorance, prejudice, bigotry, right. racism, and now you know why would you do this instead? Okay, what what was what were the, what were they thinking? It had something had to you know had to light a fire there. It did something happen maybe? And I think that's if you start hearing about that, then it kind of oh okay maybe you know there, there there's another side to the story. But you're right there there's nobody uh, presenting. Well, I don't, what I, do you think of Tucker Carlson? You know, I was in New Jersey yeah, last weekend, and I was I was visiting with uh, old friends and other people from my old neighborhood. Our neighborhood doesn't exist; hasn't existed for fifty years. We're all scattered, but. Right. And this guy is a good liberal Democrat. And his wife is there with him. She's even more liberal than he is. And I said to him, finally, why did you leave? Why did your family leave? And he's searching for a word. And he said, it became untenable. And I said, what does untenable mean? How would you translate untenable? He said, when your mother gets mugged for the second time, when your home gets yeah. invaded, for the second time, it's untenable. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, there's one well, uh, we've reached the, the heights of lunacy. Did you did you see? see uh, I guess it was last month that uh, a young black guy who shot and killed. It's undeniably shot and killed an old white guy, and I think it was Florida, sitting in a truck. Uh, a jury acquitted him, and his defense yeah. was the guy was racist and called him names. So we've reached the point now. If you call some. A particular group of people, a particular name or names, murder is justified. I mean, how do you have a civilized culture when you allow something like that? Well, worse than that is you don't even have to call the name because you're right. going to be accused of calling that name. You know, that is yeah. the standard yes. defense, right? Right. Oh, we right. called me the N word. How many? Right. right. In, in Congress, people do that. Obama does that. Michelle does that. You know, yeah. uh, you remember that? <laughs> The Capitol Hill protest that Andrew Breitbart exposed, where they said, "Yeah, they called the N word hundreds of times." Andrew <laughs> Breitbart says, hundred thousand dollars to anyone who could find that N word on a tape." Okay, and everyone had yeah. cameras and phones then, right? No, yeah, it's yeah, it's a bad. It, there's that's one of the air, major areas of non-truth telling. Uh, it's of a major course. area of, of conscious disinformation. And, and Breitbart became yeah, Breitbart becomes a. Uh, uh, a very prominent entry in the Obama body count by dropping dead at a young age on, on the street. And the, the mortician, I think, died out of, I mean, these are the things that fascinate me and you investigate them and there's just, there's just too much there. Sure. Some of it could be coincidence, but way too you know, much. I, I, he dies. I, mean, yeah. I had the, uh, uh, the pleasure, or actually I had the opportunity to investigate the Breitbart death just recently. You're right. He, he's 43 years old. He drops out of a heart attack on a Los Angeles street. The coroner, yeah. and this wasn't the main coroner, he's the tech. Um, yeah. Six weeks later, here's what's undeniable. Yeah. He dies of arsenic poisoning. <laughs> you know, 
That much is that <laughs> I mean, much is undeniable, you know. I don't know why Breitbart yeah, died. He could have known oversized heart, who knows? But this guy dies of arsenic poisoning. <laughs> of yeah, it yeah. makes you a little suspicious, you know. It makes you want to ask the question. Sure. The if if you look at these things. Right. Well, they just immediately, by bringing it up, they just, oh, oh God, you're a conspiracy. Okay, well, address what I'm saying. You know, just how common is this? You know, you know, say when Hillary Clinton was running in 2016. And again, I could just concentrate on the Clintons, but there are other body counts. Bush had a body count. Both Bushes had a body count. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, tons of people died. The guy that was going to testify against her is, is working out in the gym, and he drops a barbell and crushes himself to death on his throat. Like, how many people have ever died like that? I mean, but right. that's pretty people- uncommon. You know, I wrote a book on the death of Ron Brown, Brooke Clinton's Commerce Secretary. And when I started the project, I told the publisher, and I got a nice advance. I said, listen, you have to be willing to, li- to live with the fact that stuff happens. Planes go up, they crash, people die, right? At the, by the end of my research, I had totally reversed my opinion. Right. <laughs> I, said, I said the man was murdered. And, uh, and, and to kill him, they took down 35 other people. Uh, and then... I don't think the Clintons expected that to happen, but I think they put out the hit and they yeah. put it out to Croatian intelligence and Croatian intelligence just did what came naturally, you know? So, Hey Don, I got to run. I got to, I have a, an appointment at five. Absolutely. Year, right? Okay. Well, yeah, exactly. We'll give uh, do you want to give out any links or any, tell anybody where they can find you before you go. Yeah. You know, it's casual.com, C-A-S-H-I-L-L.com. And you can, my email is at that site. You can find me. And, um, uh, like I say, I'd like to hear from people who have experienced uh, with personal experience with white flight. That's what I'm working on right now. I want to hear firsthand accounts. I don't need, you know, background information. I just need if you have a firsthand account uh, that you think would be worth uh, sharing, uh, you know, just send it my way. Very interesting, Jack. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. We'll have to have you on again. And uh, we have to have Mr. Sanders on as well. OK, thanks a lot. Take care, Don. Good luck. That's good, Jack. Thank you, too. Thank you. Right. Okay. Thank you. Right. Take care, Jack. Thanks. Okay, folks. So we. I'm, I'm looking at the chat. Well, first of all, I want to say hello to uh, Stephanie Anderson. I'm starting to get to you earlier. From I love it the fact that people are listening over there. Thanks from England. She's listening in England. Great. Prairie Fire listening in Canada. Chris Buchan. Uh, Buch- I think it's Buchan. Hopefully, if I got that right. We had a pronunciation thing with that before. Obviously, uh, Kat Goida. And uh, Chris Graves, people, I always appreciate your support. I saw Felix Caraballo in there earlier. I don't know where he went. But, uh, again, I'm just looking. I can only see the when, – when Tony gets on here, we'll talk about the Rockfin chat room. Because, uh, I can't see the Rockfin chat room from this page, so I can see your comments. Mostly you're coming through YouTube. So glad that, uh, that that's – again, so – uh, I hope you enjoyed that discussion. And Anna Sanders, people are kind of grumbling in the chat room about 9-11 and stuff. Yeah, it is what it is. It's You take people, like I said with Elon Musk, and I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I'm no fan of Elon Musk. I don't trust him. But uh, if, you know, any loosening at all, because you want things trending in the right direction. So if, if any of the social media giants, it starts to trend in that way. So it starts opening up and they let more and more people on. They let you say more and more stuff. That's a good thing. So, you know, and, you know, you have to take little baby steps. What John F. Kennedy uh, in one of his, you know, just full of wisdom because he was so well read and he knew the classics and everything. And he, he, 
he, I think when, they, when he signed the nuclear test ban treaty, which was, you know, a nice little first step. But as he said at the time, you know, the old uh, Chinese proverb uh, is that journey of a thousand miles starts with a single. He said, let us, you know, let history record that on this day, you know, we took the first step. Uh, so that's a brilliant way to look at it. So uh, if, if Twitter opens up at all, then it's a baby step. But, you know, those steps add up. It's kind of like the tiny ripples of hope thing that you guys have heard me say many, many times from Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, that uh, you know, if you, enough tiny ripples of hope conceivably could eventually cause a tidal wave that can wash away the mightiest walls of and injustice. Um, but anyhow, so that's you know, um, I think that's you know one bit of and there's there, there's you know I don't talk about good news very often here because there usually isn't any good news. But uh, this week there were there were or this week and last week there was you know. Uh, at least three pieces of good news. One is Elon Musk getting Twitter. Like I said, I think that's good news. Uh, if if he opens it up and he's, you know, he may not be sincere, but just, you know, just putting it out there, saying free speech is crucial to democracy. Who can disagree with that? Now, we'll see if that's the case or if he, if he has a hand in it and say, well, you can't say that, you know, whatever. But uh, hopefully he won't. But at some point, things are so restricted now and people are being banned just for questioning Questioning vaccines and questioning the election, so uh, things like that. Uh, ban people for that. Obviously, this would uh, if he just stops that and allows it to go back to what it was, you know, ten years ago or less. Then that's a good thing. And hopefully, if that happens, um, the other social media might follow. I, I, I would tend to think YouTube is probably the most important of all of them because uh, I, you know, from my standpoint, I got a lot of information from YouTube. So let's hope yeah, that, uh, you know, some of the, the domino effect, that, that, that's one good point. And the second uh, bit of good news is the uh, fact that these uh, third, uh, you know, FBI inspired uh, kidnapping, alleged kidnapping plot to Whitmer. Uh, the two of the defendants were acquitted by a jury. And if you've studied the legal system as long as I have, and I'm considering writing a book about it, I know Chris is out there wants me to write it. Uh, but, uh, you know, if if you look at that, these judges, I watch these programs and, I, you know, investigation discovery, just to see how many times, amazing the number of people that are convicted on, you know, one person, one, you know, drug addicts, you know, very dubious testimony, and they're sent away for life without a chance of parole on just that. I mean, to say that most juries have no concept of reasonable doubt or, or no concept of innocent until proven guilty, they absolutely don't unless somebody, you know, or somebody has a lot of money and they have an actual defense team and not a public defender is less than five minutes with them. But anyway, right, this jury did something that 99% juries don't do. They made a, a, an intelligent uh, verdict, and they let two of the they acquitted two of the defendants in the absurd kidnapping trial. And you could, you know, I wrote a story for American Free Press uh, that would be in this issue coming up. And uh, the quote from one of the federal prosecutors is, you know, you can just see the shock. It's like, well, this 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 never happens, especially to this degree, because two of the other defendants got off as well because they were hung jury, so they could still have mistrials. That was shocking. I would I would everything I own that they would have been convicted. Now, it's still happening. Like one of the January 6th defendants was just convicted or whatever, and then he blamed Trump or something, which, uh, you know, 
I wish they would all use the civil liberties defense. That you know, why don't they have the right to walk into a building? They're being waved into a public building. They're tax pay for, but you know, most people don't don't make blaming Trump's not going to work. I mean, hates Trump, but they hate the. So, uh, but we did have one person last week or the week before that did. Again, you had just like you had a a very rare honest jury in this case. Well, in that case, you had an even maybe even rare honest judge who looked at this and looked at the tape and said, yeah, you know, you're right. The door was open and they waved in time. So he let him off. Uh, you know, he dismissed the case. So very unusual. Doesn't happen all that often. I see Tony's, Tony's back. Tony, you can feel free to jump in and uh, give your thoughts, whatever you want. And maybe you can tell us if uh, what's going on in the Rockfin. What's going on in the Rockfin chat room over there? That I let's, let's check in on Rockfin. Uh, you had a $5 tip, and I'm going to go through and see who that was. It looks like oh, it was uh, Jeffrey Dossett. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you very much. Very much appreciated. Yeah, you've got an active chat over on Rockfin, an active chat uh, on YouTube. and Yeah, I've been going through the YouTube trying to keep up with them here. And it's a, a Prairie Fire and Chris Buckin and Chris Graves and Kat. Uh, let, let it, they're, they're making a lot of comments. Let's see here. Yeah, Chris is. Uh, he also uh, comments over on on Rockfin too, Don. Uh, oh, cool! So he's Chris, everywhere. <laughs> Chris, yeah, Chris is awesome. Chris is omnipresent. Yeah, see, <laughs> that's wonderful. So yeah, it's, it's so you know I was uh, talking about you know we got to take our good news where we can find it. So what what are your thoughts on uh, Elon Musk? Again, I'm not a fan of his, but. Uh, if, no, he's he's saying all the right stuff, and he's saying free speech is essential to democracy. And if he, you know, if he if he makes just one of the social media giants becomes a platform where all of us can go to and not have to worry about getting banned, we say there. I think that's a good thing. What what do you think about that? Uh, table that question for five minutes. Don, I have to buy some silver from a customer. I'll be right back. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, go to your business. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Tony is, is busily engaged in his business as he's producing that kind of as a producer as well. But um, so that's my side. I, I uh, you know, as I touched on a little bit of that with Jack, with but I'm writing about, you know, even much older. Chris Koch and Chris Graves, who's in there, Bob Wilson, the three searchers, as uh, they're going to be known. And we're going to have a show at some point in the future. Where the three searchers going to be the guests? And so they put up a meme where uh, it was like uh, I was Mulder and uh, they were the lone gunman in the X Files. There's, you know, there's a lot. There's a, there's a lot of similarities there, but um, at any rate, uh, we're going to have a show at some point. They, they really do so much to help me out. And uh, Peter was sending me some great stuff today about the Bolshevik Revolution that I'm adding to the Woodrow Wilson set section that he uh sent me out just amazing stuff uh, he sent john mccarthy as well uh, on F great stuff on fdr and of course chris sends me stuff on everything i mean it's just amazing sandy hook and uh Home city tons of just information it's uh, just not bob wilson has been a force especially uh, hopefully people will like that because the hidden history three is pretty much you know in terms of uh, how big it is, but I just have to and everything. And, uh, and uh, get it ready for, you know, to the publisher and hopefully 
Skyhorse will go for it. We'll see. In the meantime, I hope you guys are out there checking. I really appreciate the support here. Yep, obviously. Any tips are very much appreciated. Uh, the, uh, the chat is appreciated. The comments, the fact you're listening is very much appreciated. Uh, but uh hope you check me out on Substack. Uh, getting uh, a bigger and bigger audience over there. I have a paid option there as well. And some people are generously uh, taking advantage of it, but you can get everything I have for free over there. I'm a populist, so I offer everything for free. Contribute, that's great. And that's easy to find at uh, Donald Jeffrey. And uh, I wrote, I uh, got good feedback on this week. I wrote, and again, it was inspired by my own family issues that are really being uh, exacerbated because of uh, and, uh, kind of these things like that sometimes to really open up the fissures that are already there. And uh, certainly the, the COVID nonsense, that's at the heart of my back. So uh, almost everybody in my family. Uh, the, the article, you get a chance to, to read it. The latest one over there that I wrote is called uh, Blood, Blood Isn't Thicker Than Propaganda. And it basically goes into uh, the dysfunction in America. And I've heard from so many people. I, I've got back so many, there's these fan, I, I don't know, I'm sure some of you guys out there can chime in on the chat room, but uh, it, there doesn't seem to be any family that, uh, people, you know, once you get to know people and they, they, they feel comfortable enough to you. And a lot of people that read my work feel comfortable enough to me because I'm opening up about myself. Uh, talk about the dysfunction in their family. It's amazing the number of parents that are ostracized from their adult children, uh, of siblings ostracized from each other, uh, you know, grandparents, whatever, the impact cousins. Uh, the, the, the divide is very real. It's grown into a Grand Canyon sized gulf. At this point, uh, Trump started trying to, you know, Trump being the uh, the lightning rod, and uh, but uh, certainly COVID has really opened it up. And now we're seeing that people like myself, you know, I'm going through uh, a difficult period because uh, it's 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 difficult enough to deal with the loss of a loved one, but when you have Family fractures as well, and these other issues coming in, and uh, you're basically almost being blamed. Vaccinated, I'm not vaccinated. It's uh, it's really a difficult. So um, people will check that out, and you know it's, it also touches on something. This guy had written something called the American Loneliness Phenomenon, which. A lot of good feedback as well, and I think it's it's basically you know that as well. And I, I hear I know a lot of you know people that that live by themselves now, and it's uh, it's a phenomenon that did not used to exist. And uh, I think statistics show that I think it's something like twenty seven percent of Americans live alone. That's shocking, and it's the highest rate we've ever had, and it's the highest rate in the world. And so Americans, even before. COVID struck, we had already become kind of an isolation society, which is ironic given that we, you know, we, we don't adopt isolationist foreign policy. But uh, we have an isolationist family policy, and we have people that, uh, you know, are, it's heartbreaking the number of people that live and die alone. And this is already before COVID. They don't have anybody. So many people I know that didn't have, they don't have families. Of the end of them. So I call it the American loneliness 
phenomenon. And uh, I think it's a very real thing out there. And uh, it's, you know, to me, it's, and I've known people, I've had friends that died alone. And uh, it's, you feel so, your heart goes out to them because you think that they're before the grace of God go I. And you, you wonder, gosh, how, you know, how does something like this happen? But uh, happens all too often. And it's rarely is it because there is no way for that person. Uh, most of the time they have relatives, so often siblings, uh, that who have abandoned them. And I, I think that's that's shameful. And it says something about our society that I think that that we uh, and you know I say Tony's back now. We talk, I was just going into a little bit about the. I've gotten pretty good know. at this over the years. I just bought forty-one ounces of silver. <laughs> oh, that's correct. Everything out the door. Congratulations! That's great. Well, I mean, they're amazing. He can he can run a business and produce a show at the same time. So it's a, you're multitasking, Tony. That's great. But the, 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 it's an open debate whether or not I do a good job at either one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, I I think you do. You're doing a great job, certainly Thanks. here. But uh, I was just talking about uh, a little bit of the, oh, the chat room. Seems to they're having their own conversation. That happens a lot. Um, they're engaged. Anyhow, I was talking a little bit about the article I wrote the, uh, that we just talked about. I was uh, when right. Tony was guest hosting for David Knight again. I was talking about it. So again, I just uh, the more I read about it, the more experience I think that's, and it's tied to, I, I wrote an article last year on my blog, The American Loneliness Phenomenon, which I think is really, it was leading up to this, where we already had a phenomenon. I don't know how many people you know like that, Tony, but it's uh, America leads the world. I think in that article, I, I up with a statistic I read that 27% of Americans live alone now. That's over a quarter. That's shocking. And, uh, you know, it's the most we've ever had, and it's the most by far of the entire world. You don't see this phenomenon, especially, again, as we, the same kind of thing I talked about in terms of nursing. You don't see this in Arabic cultures, uh, you know, Middle Eastern cultures or uh, Asian cultures. You're really exclusively Western or white phenomenon. Where your relatives are discarded, and uh, there are very few people who are dying alone. I mean, it can happen if you're the only child of an only child or something like that. That's pretty rare. Most of the time, these people have some family that should be interested in their welfare. And but we've reached a point now where siblings aren't interested in each other's welfare, and children sometimes aren't interested in their parents' welfare, and vice versa. So. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you do you know people like that? Because I have known people like that. I think it's just you know it's very sad. Oh, it's becoming more and more common. Uh, you and I discussed this on the David Knight show. Uh, how families, you know, you you don't see a lot of people growing up um, in the same places, staying, you know, putting down roots, and people are scattered all over the place. And you know, we because of our modern economy, I think primarily because of the shift in culture from you know, family to the welfare state, making the state the parent, um, people started putting their elders away, you know, putting in them in nursing homes. Not everyone. I mean, obviously there's like my family, my, my father, he just vowed, he told my grandfather, he's like, I will never, you know, put you in a nursing home or, or, uh, or my mother, you know, so, uh, he was able to, for the last years of my grandmother's life, you know, he was able to, she had a little cottage. Not everybody can do that. I mean, but, she, you know, if there was the weather was bad, she'd stay in, in the main house. And so there was just, you know, that, that commitment was there to, that's to, great. 
take care of, of, of his mother. And I will do the same for, for my mother. I'll do the same for my mother-in-law. I mean, that's, it's, it's uh, something I'm committed to. I mean, for, for family and friends, but I think you, the, the disconnect is, is prevalent in American society. Um, yeah. And I think it just really comes down to what we value, you know, but what we. Right. And, yeah. And I, you're right. And I think, and I think, but the, and I think this is the point out and as you pointed that this was a reality, unfortunately, before it was, we were trending in that direction for a century. You know, once, once nursing homes became popular, that's where old people ended up. It, it wasn't on the Waltons anymore. You didn't have three generations of families. And I, you know, I, I'm going against the grain, but I, I like the concept of, you know, having multi-generational families. You know, where you can't do it, I guess, if you're living in a better apartment. But, but even then, if you had the multi-generational family, the odds are you would probably have a bigger house anyhow, just because of that. And uh, I think that's it's something, but, you know, Americans are so, and it's odd, Tony, that, uh, you know, we, on the one hand, we really discourage individuality in many ways, you know, because this country is built on you. We certainly don't believe in individual rights anymore. But uh, that kind of rugged individualism we like, you know, you know, yeah, you take, you know, get out when you're 18 or take care of yourself. And, you know, that that kind of stuff is that old fashioned thing is still there. So, I mean, to me, there's a huge dichotomy between that kind of individualism and the individualism that says, hey, leave me alone. You know, I, I, I want to be able to live my life as the way I, you know, this is my right to do this. No, that we interfere with that, but we don't, you know, why isn't the same government that's meddling and, and, and why aren't they poking their noses into family situations where old people have been abandoned? Something like that. You know, why don't you take care of them? Or, you know, your, your brother, you know, needs help. He's, you're the only people that, that can help. And why don't you, I mean, is, would that, is that really any different from what they're doing on so many other issues? Well, they want you alone like the wolf wants the lamb on its own, you know, not yeah, yeah. not for your benefit, not for that rugged individualism. They want you separated from your family. And remember, at the end of the day, all cultural Marxism is, you know, if you look at uh, since the 1930s, since the uh, implementation of the Frankfurt School, it, it is a it's an acid. It's a destructive force and it's all meant to tear apart what we consider uh the the family unit and you, of course you hear that a lot in um in feminism you hear the the destroy the patriarchy you know the the and, and you you know it's it, it's interesting too because we're, we're getting to, to like peak marxism and uh and clown world where you know you can be a man and compete in women's sports yes and the feminists are silent and, you know, the man, there was a man that's woman of the year. I mean, my, my wife talks about this because my wife is, you know, kind of like you, she's more of a classical liberal. Um, you know, when she married me, it was like, you know, I was running as a, as a conservative, but we got along because, you know, main, the main values were there, but that's where she, she leaned. And she just, over the years, just became so disgusted with, uh, with these false movements. She's like, they're not empowering women. I'm a woman, you know, why, why no one's standing up for us. And, I, I told her, I was like, it was never part of empowering women. It's just about destroying society. You know, it's not, it's not about empowering. If they, if they were true to form, they'd be sticking up for like, look at those, those ladies that are, you know, swimmers and track stars. And I mean, all these people that are working so hard and then a biological male comes in and, 
you know, it's just like South Park does it great with, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage. (laughs) It's just, it's just, but that's what the, that's the clown world that we're in. And, you know, they don't, they, so that's my answer is a kind of a long way around. I think they don't, they don't want you truly individual. They just want you separated from your family so they can, in, in, you know, they can get their tentacles into you. And I'm saying they, that's the, the, the hive you know, the Absolutely. ruling, the ruling elite hive mind. Absolutely. I, I want to say uh, William, William Hill uh, it, it says hello. Good day from Sydney, Australia. Hey, man, I, I love seeing people like that. And Stephanie Anderson earlier from the UK. It's it just, it's really cool to know that people are, you know, are listening to this show that far from us. So thank, thank you, William, for listening. And again, thank you, Stephanie. Well, thank you all for listening. But uh, it just seems uh, amazing to me beauty of the internet i guess but uh but you're right i mean that's the you know and and your wife like me i came uh, i've told talked about it many times but you know it was uh i thought the democrats were the good guys when i was first discovering politics and i you know i i was so excited when uh the elections uh the midterm elections i guess in 74 it was before i could even vote but uh democrats they took that was when i was just discovering uh the JFK assassination. So I was becoming politically aware. So I was hoping, hey, they're going to go and, you know, the Democrats, the good guys are going to get into Congress, all these liberals, and uh, they're going to reopen this JFK case and smash everything open and, uh, you know, show the CIA for what it is and all that. And uh, and they did take the House. And But it was much like what would happen 20 years later when Newt Gingrich and the Republicans took the House. Yeah. Contract with the, uh, firm with America. Contract, contract firm, firm. Yeah, which, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which had, uh, um, at least one great plank, and that was the uh, the term limits. But you know, not much came out of that. And the only thing that came out of the Democrats taking the House back then in '74, the only thing radical that came was one of the few good pieces of legislation that's been passed in my lifetime, the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, and even that has been difficult because the agency's still fighting. You have to work really hard most of the time to get it. But uh, at least it was good. And and the. Uh, the Republicans that you might know more about this, Tony, but I, one good thing that came out of that, and I don't know if it lasted, but I didn't even know at that time, uh, they did end some of the perks that congressmen enjoyed. And one, one, of the, one of the things they enjoyed, and it's just, most people would never know this, but until that time, and I don't know if they rescinded it, they might have, uh, Congress and, and their staffs were completely above all laws, including civil rights laws. Right. So if you're a congressperson, up to 94, whatever it was, you could literally say, I don't want any non-whites on my staff. I don't want any females. I don't want any, you know, any handicap, whatever. You could hire who you wanted, and there was nothing you could, they could do because you were above all those laws as, as, as a congressperson. Now, they did pass something the Republicans said, and I know at least for a while it was other. Do you know anything about that, whether that was ever rescinded? Because that, that, if that really held, then that was one great thing that came out of it. I'm not totally familiar. I've heard that, but I've never actually looked in to see. I don't. To, to me, that in that entire um, era was an error. I mean, they had they wasted it on impeachment, Don. If you remember, they did yeah. the same. They did they did the typical partisan nonsense. You know, they <laughs> um they they really had so much momentum with uh you know with the house under newt and of course that's when you got uh ron paul for the second time he, he caught yeah. that wave you know the contract yeah. for america all that mm-hmm. yeah. they wasted it on on partisan garbage and um and impeachment right. 
Well, especially what they impeached him for, because they they ignored all of the real scandals. They ignored Whitewater. They ignored right. you know, the, the boys on the tracks and Vince Foster and bo- all the body count, uh, Hillary's uh, cattle chairs and uh, file gate, all, all these things Oklahoma that were City. Oklahoma City. I, yeah, definitely that. And uh, they, there were so many. Waco, obviously Waco. Waco. Waco yeah. Anything was an impeachable. Waco is one of the great impeachable offenses of all time. Yes, they brushed all that under the rug, and then for whatever. And again, who was front and center in that? Someone like a young Lindsey Graham. He was right. Was he one of the House managers? Right. And and you know, TV, <laughs> you know, this guy's not going to look into Vince Foster or Waco. And no. uh, so he, they go after him on something stupid that they knew would be made fun of. Uh, so you can have even some of my friends still say, hey, impeach him over a blowjob. You know, that that's still the line, you know, although, you know, even that, though, you know, a hundred years ago, would that have been tolerated? I mean, he, he, it was he was forcing, a, you know, an intern to have sex within the Oval Office. So it was distasteful, but it was nothing compared to the rest of his crimes that went unpunished. But you're exactly right. That was that's the, they focused on that. And. Nothing happened, and uh, you know, just uh, after Oklahoma City, Bill Clinton was able to demonize the uh, militia, you know, the militia groups, yeah. and and able to uh, to the rest is history. You know, they they you know nobody heard of uh, militia is a bad word now. They still, you know, they use that. Uh, that's what they actually when I was talking about the uh, the plot to kidnap Whitmer, they tried to demonize them originally as militia groups, but that wasn't enough for Gretchen Whitmer. Whitmer said, no, 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 you call them domestic terrorists. Can we at least say alleged domestic terrorist question? No, 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 <laughs> no alleged. <laughs> well, I remember distinctly after, uh, like the day after nine 11, I was in, um, Sofia, Bulgaria. I was, I was in the military, but I was actually representing the U S at the world powerlifting championships. I was uh, the American champion there. And, uh, so nine 11 happens and it's, I see all these interviews going on and there's these Republican congressmen down by the Pentagon and they're saying, this is what happens when you don't fund enough military spending. You know, they were mad. Like we, we, we've been caught up. We need more funding. And I go, and I just turned to my, I was 21. I turned to my dad. I'm like, they're never going to investigate this. Are they? They're, they're just going to ask for more. You, you, you got supposedly this, tr- you know, trillion dollar foreign policy and you've got all the, you know, the most heavily guarded and surveilled buildings and you know, you sophisticated space, Star Wars, SDI stuff, and you get hit. So yeah, and, and I th- then you get the the um, leadership of Denny Hassard, who's oh, anybody that knows anything about that story. You know, the longest serving Republican Speaker of the House was a pedophile. Yes, yeah. and he got caught. By the way, he got caught not necessarily in the act, but paying off after he after he left Washington. So this is why those people are groomed, you know. But he got caught by the Patriot Act that he helped push through. <laughs> he was taking out, you know, yeah. like $4,500 at a time in cash and making like a, you know, multiple, multiple withdrawals. And so he got on some list, you know, uh, which was his own, his own bill. <laughs> Pushed by his own petard. That's you know? gr- it's great. It's great. It's great irony there. So, but I, I think, and I think, you know, and I wrote a little, again, nobody writes about this, but uh, the unbelievable lucrative pensions some of these people and i i'm pretty sure that didn't affect his pension at all i'm pretty sure denny hastert is uh fondly remembering high school wrestling loves of his past as he uh spends his uh taxpayer finance pension you know by all the taxpayers out there who don't have a pension of their own i try not to be 
so my loathing for the Republicans, because I've seen the inside and I've worked with them and I, and I've watched what's happened to this country and what they allow to happen. Um, I mean, I obviously don't like the Democrats, uh, but my God, uh, Don, mm-hmm. I just, I can't I, on an un, it's unchristian level amount of hatred that I have for, for that institution. And, you know, yeah. you, if you read, um, and that's because look, because they, they fool people. And that's the yeah. thing, like the left doesn't really fool anybody. They just say, this no. is what we're going to do. It's drag <laughs> queen story time, $7, right. and, uh, you know, <laughs> gallon gasoline. That's our values. Let's go to war. Uh, right. Everybody says, yeah, all the NPCs say, yeah. But the Republican right. party has this very sophisticated, um, almost uh, snake charming kind of thing where it's like, Hey, we're with you. You yeah. have to vote for us. You don't want to lose your guns. Do you, you know, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, it's just, it's just so sad. And we'll back down. If you ever, if you ever, uh, you know, threatened to actually use them. Cause I mean, you're basically, what, what is the, the, the idea of the second amendment to me? And, and again, I, in crimes and cover-ups in American politics, 1776-1963, I had a whole section there. And because I'm not that big a guns rights guy, I believe in the Second Amendment. It's not one of my core issues, but um, I, I just wanted to put it in there because you hear so much discussion from people. Well, oh, you know, they, 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 that what they intended, and you know, it's, religion's not the same thing. Well, they told you what they intended, and I put all even Alexander Hamilton. You know, I don't like. I mean, every one of the founding fathers is on the record at some point talking about no, this. You know, of course, you know, you can't. You can't stop people from owning guns. The individuals have to have the right to. I mean, they're very clear about it. It's obvious, but the basis behind them, is, whether it's Jefferson or whatever, the reason why it's not, they didn't want people to have the right so that they could hunt or they could go skeet shooting, you know, at some point. This was because they knew that the the only protection they had, and of course, they didn't foresee a Pentagon, and, you know, the biggest military budget the world has ever seen, unimaginable weapons, but they, they thought, you know, the only thing that can stop a tyrannical government like the one we just broke away from and formed this country is our, our weapons. So without right. the Minutemen, could they have done that? So you, so this is the idea, but the, and, but you don't hear enough of the Second Amendment advocates talking about that. You know, we need this to protect us from you, not to, so that we can hunt. And, and, and this is what I find alarming about how uh, the so-called militia groups that are out there, I don't know what they're concentrating on, but they were ever to show a force of arms and, and try to intimidate government. Because, you know, what, what is Jefferson's great statement that uh, where uh, the people fear the government, there's tyranny, and where the government fears the people, there's liberty. Well, is there any doubt about who's fearing who at this point? So you have tyranny. But you, you didn't see during the lockdown or anything like that, you, you didn't see even the, uh, when they had a, a very brief demonstration, I think in Michigan or whatever, at some point, everybody went nuts because they, you know, you didn't, I don't think they were all showing up with, with weapons. And because that's what, that's what, you know, really disturbs the people and terrifies the government because they know what that means. But that's the whole point. Let's, let's tell it what it is. The right to bear arms is so that we can protect people from from tyrants otherwise what is the point of it and and uh so i i don't this thing about you know nobody needs an assault weapon all that well you know you have assault weapons the government (laughs) government has assault weapons so again the people need to be able to to have uh and again that doesn't mean they're attacking the government but you have the right to defend yourself 
from tyranny. And I, I wish more, but you know, it's diluted. And you're, and it's, and it's because the Republicans are at the heart of it, and we know how they are. You know, oh, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, you know, I'm for sensible, you know, control. <laughs> sensible, and, no, yeah. No, no, you can't, you can't put an asterisk on it. You know. Well. You're absolutely right, and and it got co-opted. The Second Amendment movement has been co-opted yeah. uh, by milk toast people, and yeah. that's the problem. And a lot of the times, too, like I'm a you know I love I grew up Second Amendment all the way. You know I I carry my my 357 with me everywhere I go. Uh, I you know I have I live off grid, so I have you know I have my rifles. I'm a combat vet, so I know how to use weapons. Um, but you will you won't find me. Uh, I don't go over the top with it. And one of the, one of the reasons I, I don't say, well, I've got this many, you know, and I can, I've got five AKs and I've got all this other stuff because you can only use it. One person can only use a weapon. You know, you can use it for an investment, but you're not gonna be able to use it. Like, you know, I'm not going to be in like an action movie, whether you're shooting two at the same time, you know, that's just, <laughs> it's just <laughs> fantasy. You're yeah. going to be able to defend your property. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, but there's only so much you can do. And it's supposed to be a, uh, a a mutually assured destruction type of statement that the citizenry is armed. The, right. the problem the problem is, Don, and I think uh, the the problem I have with a lot of the the movements around the Second Amendment not not all of them because I, I they're my people, but don't get complacent just because you have a firearm doesn't mean that you live in a free country, right? Because it's a pacifier. They say, well, I can still buy my ammo and I got all the, you know, I got 15 shotguns and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but you, you can't freely assemble. You know, you've lost your first amendment Ex rights. You've exactly. lost your fourth amendment rights. Your government is out of control. It's, it's taking you to war and without your permission, it's, it's, it's devaluing your currency. It's putting people in, in prison indefinitely without a trial. Yeah. Are you at a free? So basically, because you've got your, you've got that gun, but you, yeah. you, you feel, but you're, they don't, they don't fear you because they know no. exactly what they're, if they want you to take, like, if the government wanted to get rid of me, it'd be pretty easy. Right. I mean, just do it. You know, I mean, it's not yep. like, uh, I mean, I can defend myself. I'm pretty good at it, but mm -hmm. uh, I don't, uh, I'm not a god and I'm not invincible. And it's, it's easy just to, take somebody out so I, I just think that it's too much of a security blanket and that's what i don't like about modern politics is because so much of it is just based off of false narratives i mean we just you know trump was the only guy don that that could have locked us down and that's yeah. the thing you can tell people that and that you could see like their motor starts turning because they're about to do you triggered them especially if they're mag <laughs> Oh, you know, yeah. He didn't. He didn't know. He was surrounded. Oh, you know? it's. I, I still get. You know, my my neighbor who you know, I, I like the guy. He's great. But he, I, I told him he had the most balls of anybody I've ever seen uh, last year when he was walking around our neighborhood with that mega hat on because that's that's risking your life, man. I mean, I mean, really, you know, people. You know, I, you know, my my neighborhood is. There's a lot of Trump supporters here, but they're all scared. You know, during the last election, I I walk. You know, we have a nice big neighborhood, and I'm very grateful for it. Very, you know, I've mentioned before how they're, they're these kind of neighborhoods are trying to get rid of you. Hear a pin drop when you're walking, and I'm just, you know, blessed. I'm blessed with it. But you know, you walk to the sidewalks, and I would look at the signs, and uh, there were lots of Biden signs, one Trump sign, and there was another one that popped up, and it was gone the next day. So I don't know if they tore it down or whatever. But and I know there's lots more people that support, but the, but this guy is a big Trump supporter, and he uh, 
he heard me on David Knight, and he he's down on David Knight and me now too. Although he although he told me I saw him again the other day, and he said, uh, "I listened to something else you said when you were talking about the Articles of Confederation." So now I understand what you're saying. I said, okay, so he's, I mean, he likes me again. So that was nice. Still hates David Knight though. So he yeah, uh, because he said David Knight just needs to he needs to stop talking about Trump so much. I said, <laughs> Okay, and that's what it is. He won't like me. Don't tell him to tune into my oh, show. Oh, oh no, no, I'm sure, I'm sure he will. Well, well yeah, he, he's <laughs> and that's and I tried to explain to him. I said, you know, the reason why you know I talk about Republicans a lot too is because it's like you know if you're and they've done you know research shows that if one of the parents is let's say the father's abusive to a child, that when the kid grows up, most of the time they resent the mother more than the father because they resent the enabler. You know, they, they, they recognize, okay, that guy's really screwed up. He's whatever. He's there, there, You realize, I guess, after a certain point, if he's beating you or whatever he's doing, that, okay, there's not, even though you know you're love him at some point, in some way, level, but you kind of realize, okay, that's not going to change. It's nothing. He's just a monster. But the other person who's maybe the good parent, that's who you accept. It's not stopping it. So that's so that's why even you know it's it's, it's a little bit it's a, it's not a it's a flawed analogy but the Democrats at this point are the abuser, so they're the aggressor, they're the ones that are pushing all the complete insanity from transgender story hour to critical race theory to uh, hating free speech. Um, well, William Hale says, yeah, you're here in Australia. They were totally controlled by the globalist government because you get it. absolutely, yeah, you know, don't want to do that, but. But so in that case, you uh, it's the same way here where uh, Trump came into office making all these promises. Yeah, you know, he thought he couldn't possibly be sincere. But uh, the Republicans are supposed to be the anti. They're, they're, they're claiming they're the anti you know, to the Democrats. We've got to stop and stuff. Well, and at some point you have to get aggressive and you have to you know you have to be, you can't back down and be scared of being called racist you can't apologize for everything you have to call out you know the crazy people saying men can you know women can uh, men can have babies you have to say i i'm sorry that's that's absolute insanity and we can't have a discussion beyond that Let, let's let's you know let's get out of the padded room here i mean cuz we're we're you know we're we're something i can't possibly i can't discuss the guy over here that thinks he's napoleon either that's at that level, but they don't do that. They entertain it, and they had same thing with racism. You know, when we say somebody, somebody, you know, the black kid I mentioned in the first hour that shot and killed the the, the white the white racist uh, truck driver who, who was killed murdered because he said something bad allegedly. You you can't how you can't do that. Just as we saw during twenty twenty when Trump was in the White House, the Republicans still controlled I think the Senate. Uh, they did nothing. They sat down, Trump and the Republicans sat down while statues all over the country of historical figures were desecrated, torn down. Trump finally belatedly, he must have been an Andrew Jackson fan or something, because he finally reacted when they were going to tear down Andrew Jackson. And uh, uh, but that was it. They had already torn down a bunch of things, including, you know, ironically, uh, I think Frederick Douglass and Gandhi. Uh, you know, they were just tearing down every statue they had. And but where Lincoln, were the Republicans? Statues of Lincoln. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know, Lincoln, you know, they should love him. God, if you read some history, you would understand this is the guy you should worship. Okay? They were just, it was just tearing down to tear down. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's all that was about. It's just trying to trying to destroy history. Uh, and you, you're right. They just look, I'll give you an example. 
of the GOP's failures is um, they they have great taglines and they have great propaganda. But like uh, you look at Greg Abbott in Texas, governor, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, he's sending and busing up uh, migrants to D.C. Yes. You know, that, that's, yes. his, that's his press release. Well, yeah. but you're the governor. So why don't you secure the border? Exactly. See, that's what Republican. So so he just raised a bunch of money, I'm sure. And they're like, look at what we're doing. We're going to drop them off right in Joe Biden's front yard. And I'm like, but he didn't secure the border. No. And they're still in this country. He has the power to do that. Like he can call call up the National Guard. He could could do that. Right. And of course, you know, somebody like Greg Abbott at the beginning of the uh, the scamdemic, he gave a $300 million to some shell corporation out in Frisco, Texas to do contact tracing. And then yeah. what a year later, he's like, I'm going to build a wall and we're going to spend $200 million. And I'm like, wait oh, a minute, yeah. wait a minute. You know? So it's just, again, it's, it's so much. And that's my thing is, uh, and don't misunderstand me on the, on the firearms. I I'll die for my second amendment. What I'm telling you is, is don't be complacent thinking just because you have that, that right. you're free because they're taking everything else. They're going to wait for that last, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. So. Well, I, I don't know if you noticed uh, Tucker Carlson was showing video of uh, of them coming to Washington and getting off the bus. And I, I don't think and he didn't comment on it. But, you know, it's somebody, again, who still unfortunately follows sports to some degree because it's, it's a habit. It's my entire life, even though I, I recognize it for the corrupt cesspool it is. But I still you know, I'm familiar with the NFL draft and what they do at the draft. And for, especially since Roger Goodell became NFL commissioner, he wants to be one of the bros. So after every first round draft pick, he's there to shake their hand and they all do this bro hug thing where they, where they, it's, 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 it's just so stupid millionaires hugging each other. But uh, the guy outside, I don't know who he was. I think he was with immigration. Who else was he with? He was giving every one of the immigrants off the bus a bro hug. And it's like, what, what they're, they're think this is the NFL draft. It's like, these are illegal immigrants who you're supposed to control. You're congratulating him. And as I understand, now they're giving him smartphones. As a, again, they don't want to give a, poor people in this country anything, but they're giving immigrants free, free smartphones. Well, people, this is documented fact. If you cross the border illegally, you don't have to wear a mask or get a jab. You know why? Yeah. Yeah. Because, because those countries of origin don't have uh, impediments to you suing pharmaceutical companies so they don't push <laughs> mandates for people crossing the border illegally because they because they once I mean, again they're not they're not citizens we don't have the right to sue uh you know the pharmaceutical companies and i don't, don't want to get nope. a chance i'm not going to say anything more <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, but, exactly but, uh, on youtube <laughs> but but you know what i mean and right. uh so i mean it, it's and it's a slap in the face i mean they're just saying we're, we can do this and we're gonna you know I call them weapons of mass immigration. You know, this yeah. is all weaponized people, like poor, well, and it, poor people too. It is, and but it's it's, and if you looked at the immigrants, I I couldn't help but notice. I mean, they were wearing like one of them had a Michael Jordan jersey on. Another one had another sports. They looked like they were wearing designer clothes, and they're coming from really poor areas. It's, it's like wonder. I mean, are they manufacturing these people in a lab or what? I mean, I it's like what? And then why why are you hugging them? What I mean. Uh, I, you know, I, I, and again, Tucker Carlson wasn't even questioning that. I would say, you know, you're watching the video. Why aren't you commenting on? And I would try to find out who that was and contact the authorities and say, why is, and you know, why is he hugging the illegal immigrants when they get off the bus? 
what is this? I mean, it's like, he, he's, do they hug, hug legal immigrants when they come in the country? I mean, I don't yeah. think so. I mean, yeah. like, what is the point of that? I mean, is this, it was so bizarre. It's like, you know, congratulations, you know, keep up with the plan, but you're so right about Abbott. That's a typical, and that's a thing where he, he can hoodwink the Republicans in his state. So yeah, Abbott got rid of the, got rid of the legal. They're, they're easily, you just got to give them like a little blurb, a little talking point, a little sound bite, and they go, oh, he's a hero. You know, and you're like, but he didn't, he didn't do his duty, you know? And they're like, well, but he's surrounded. And that's kind of like the Trump thing. He's just surrounded. Everybody's surrounded. Him. Oh like, yeah. He, he oh, I, I, did you do you hear that? We'll probably talk about a lot of this tomorrow on American Plug, but, but, uh, so, but it bears repeating, but, uh, uh, uh Trump again, and uh, he, he, uh, I, I've been reading, you know, some criticism, some criticism of him and that he's again, once <laughs> I wrote an article about American free press several months back. Uh, that, that again, just looking at his track record of, uh, uh, you know, endorsing nothing but rhinos, pretty much. And now he's endorsed Dr. Oz, right? who is a, uh, you know, again, this this guy is, he's so far removed from any of Trump's rhetoric, it's not even funny. And he's, you know, he's a typical clueless, uh, you know, former ho Hollywood celebrity. Uh, he should be anathema to Trump, allegedly, if he, if he, you know, believes in what he says. But He's there to endorse him. There are pretty much every other candidate was better running as a Republican. And there's a black woman who is a genuine MAGA, you know, uh, Trump diehard Trumpster from his original rhetoric that's running. And no, he's not there. Instead, he, he and this is what he has done going back to Roy Moore and everything else. Yeah. He consistently backs the establishment Republican candidate. And you try to tell his, the faithful and they just give you that look. Well, you know, they, they, what do you mean? Yeah, he's surrounded. <laughs> he doesn't know. He's playing 8D chess. Yeah. You know? and he, he, he uh, always backs what I call long armors. They're long armors because they want to reach across the aisle, Don. They got long arms. They want to, and, the, they, and that's, that's the Republicans are just like, you know, there was a great, I think Vox Day wrote that book uh, back in 2015 called Cuckservatives. And I'm like, this yeah. is so funny. <laughs> yes. and, that's, yeah. and they're just cucks. And they, and, and they, yeah. you know, they, everything the left does, are we, are we, are we doing it right? You know, Dr. Yeah. Oz, I mean, what, what good would Dr. Oz do for us or yeah. the American people? I mean, he's just, yeah. I mean, you might as well just have, I'd rather just have a Democrat. I mean, yeah. I would rather have Democrats everywhere because right. that way the grassroots is mad and activated and, and doing things and, and, and protesting and, as soon as we but get a Republican elected, because you're just going to get a Lindsey Graham or you get a Mitt Romney, right. we'll just go back to sleep. Yeah, and and you 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 know from the inside when you ran for Congress, but the, the Republican state leadership in all these states is it mirrors the national leadership. They never have anybody good in charge, and so they always back the Rhino candidates. They back the wrong people constantly. We saw here in, in Virginia they had a a decent candidate running against Youngkin for governor. Now, I will say Youngkin, again, just like I said about Elon Musk, I, I know Youngkin's background. He's a typical rhino type, you know, neocon. But so far, he has done what he said he would do in terms of mass mandates and critical race theory. He's, he's, he's been shockingly good so far on that. So you got to give people credit. David Knight says that all the time, and he's exactly right. When somebody does something right, you got to credit him for it. I mean, it's rare. It is. It's rare. I don't have to myself out doing it, but that, no, that, I always look, what's the angle there? Why, why are you actually right. doing something right? Well, yeah, you're suspicious. You know, what, what, what's, you know, what, what's going on? You're actually doing something right. Yeah. You're, you're naturally suspicious. What's going on? But, 
but uh, you have to uh, you have to credit them where where they did. But the problem is, so you have a somebody like a. And again, I don't make predictions, but I think it's probably safe to predict that they'll at least they'll let the Republicans take at least one house back to give up keep up this fake duopoly to make people think they have a choice. But my guess is that uh, that very few Marjorie Taylor Greens, if any, will sneak through, and Marjorie Taylor Green herself will probably be defeated. Republican. And so you'll get a bunch of Republicans in there who are no good and uh, who are just weak, watered down versions of the Democrats. And it doesn't give us any choice. And so you're, you're not going to have anybody. Is anybody running for Congress, you think, Tony, on uh, a platform that we can't have political prisoners in this country? And why are, why are these people sitting in prisoners? Not anybody you know, that'll win. There's probably some great yeah. primary candidates that have been stopped. There, I mean, yeah. There Texas, are, Texas didn't turn in one protest candidate from all of the lockdowns and all of the things that happened to us in the last two years. Texas, yeah. to my knowledge, Texas did not put one person up who was a protest candidate. They put all establishment people. If you've ever been in a room full of establishment Republicans, it's like who you would meet in the waiting room in hell. They're like <laughs> the worst people. And oh, yeah. I, I mean, I can't, I can't stress that. Like just, just kind of like soulless I mean, they, they, they're calculating <laughs> just, uh, again, I, I, I mean, I'll have to, I'll have to meditate and pray about it. Cause I, I just, I cannot stand them and everything they've done to this country. And I'm, I'm supposed to be just mad at the left, but I, I guess, uh, I don't know. I'm defective. No. I, my partisan switch broke. Down. Well, yeah, in a way it's right. Exactly right. Well, you know, you're because the left, I mean, I almost can respect them on some level because they are, they're open about what they're for. Yes, you know they 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 believe all white people are devils. They you know they they believe that we're all we all have white privilege. They believe there are fifty seven genders. They think you can't say certain words. They believe in hate speech, whatever that is. Uh, they believe in uh, banning misinformation, whatever that is. What they're telling you, what they believe in, so they're not really surprising you. At least not in a bad way. The Republicans. Most Republicans, I mean, what what does Mitt Romney, so what does somebody like a Mitt Romney even campaign on? I mean, what does what Lindsey Graham campaign on? Uh, we America needs to be strong. I was like, you know, maybe something like that. Crack down on terrorism or something. That's that's it. There's there's no detailed, uh, you know, agenda at all. There's How many Republicans are running on an antidote? How many people are running or, you know, are doing what Elon Musk is doing? That are you know saying free speech is essential to democracy. Are any candidates running? Are any Republicans making that an issue? We can't have an uh, asterisk. It's all about. There. It'll be something about impeach Joe Biden, right? Which yeah. does, <laughs> that helps this country. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing to that doesn't help this country because you just raise a bunch of money and it'll put the country in. Again, they're the Democrats are going to get rid of Joe Biden. I mean, right. uh, the Republicans have no power. That's another thing. You know, can right. you think of uh, like we were talking about Trump's cabinet? Uh, who voted for Trump? Probably nobody in his cabinet. And then at the same time, it, are there people in the state, the workings of the state that would consider themselves conservative Republicans? I can't I can't think of anybody they ever rolled out of any governmental department that's the head of anything that is that is a, a political affiliation. So I think it's I think Washington's completely captured by the globalist. And at this point, it's best for us to be if you wanted to be strategic, then stop, you know, stop engaging in national politics and pull back to state level and local level and dominate there. Um, Absolutely. Fight, fight where you're in. That's Sun Tzu's fight where your enemy is not. Right. Exactly. You know? I, I want to address it. Chris Buckin in the chat room. He said, he's talking about a phony jackass Republican 
that is Sheriff Grady Judge of uh, Polk County, Florida, and he knows, I, I do know who he is, and I, well, I don't know anything about Grady Judge being a conservative, but and when I wrote when I wrote Bullyocracy, I said that he was the only law enforcement officer I saw that did attempt to prosecute, uh, you know, to, as juveniles, the two girls that drove uh, Rebecca Sedwich, in this case, a little 12 year old girl that, that, that killed herself or was pushed from a water tower. He did try to go at him and he caught hell from the press. So uh, maybe he's learned his lesson and become a typical cut service. That's all I know about him. I, I'll take your word for it. You probably know. Uh, him better than I do, but I know Tony wanted to, us to end early because uh, he's going to start his show. So we, we only have a couple minutes left. So anything you want to close on, Tony? I want to make sure you get out so you can do your own show. Well, no, I uh, thanks for having me on, Don. Um, I'm I'm going to be your latest article will be an audio version up on the podcast tomorrow, sometime around the, when we publish America Unplugged. So uh, if you're looking for Don's work uh, starting this week at weekly, all of Don's uh, written work, all his blogs. Uh, we'll also be on the podcast channel on America Unplugged, so be sure and check that out. And then uh, Don and I will be on America Unplugged itself, the show, 11 a.m. Central Time uh, tomorrow. Absolutely. Tomorrow with, with Billy Ray Valentine. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And appreciate everybody in the chat that participated. Uh, Phil Fellows, I don't think I mentioned you. Uh, obviously, all the rest of you guys I, I talked about. Appreciate you being here and appreciate the tips from everybody. And, again, you can find me at Substack, DonaldJeffries.media. Uh, consider subscribing uh, you know, at least for free. And if you want to throw a, you want to become a paid subscriber, that would be very kind. And uh, you obviously check out my books everywhere and uh, you can uh, listen here every Friday. Uh, and I'm going to have that show coming up uh, soon. We're going to plan having uh, Chris Grace, Peter C. Kosh, and Bob Wilson, uh, the three searchers. <laughs> Bob Wilson, it's Chris and them. And they have helped me so much. So they deserve their own show. And it'd be a fascinating conversation because these guys, these guys know enough. Bob Wilson does have his own talk show, and, and, and uh, uh, Chris and Peter could as well. So, anyhow, thanks for listening. We'll get out of here so Tony can go on with his show. Thanks for Tony for, for producing, doing a great job producing. And, and until next week, keep sending forth those tiny ripples of hope. Thanks for listening to the show. <laughs>